0: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about how to be happier. This week we'll talk about how to deal with the fact that you can't remember an important fact about someone, like maybe their name, and about how to avoid breaking your good habits. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, the sage, Elizabeth Kraft.
1: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and Gretch today I am in my new office. Ooh. I have moved offices. So, where are you now? I am still on the Disney lot, um, I'm, but now I'm in the old animation building, which is super cool. It's, you know, where people actually drew all these uh, iconic cartoons and um, the show I've been working on the family is wrapped up for the season and it debuts soon on uh, in early March and of course I'll be plugging that but meanwhile oh. Sarah and I are in a new office. We've got our treadmill desks all set up <laughs> and our whiteboards. And we're just working um, on developing shows uh, right now. And then we'll know more about what we're doing, you know, soon.
0: So what's the coolest thing about the Disney lot? Is there some, like, statue or, like, secret thing or, like, Cinderella's glass slipper somewhere? Or, or, or is- There's...
1: A building that has the huge sort of statues carved into it of the seven dwarves holding up the the roof of the building. It's very cool. Oh, you know what? I'll send you a picture.
0: Oh yeah, we'll post it on we'll post it on the uh, in the show notes for this. So, happiercast dot com slash fifty one, and we'll see that. Um, but listen, you know, before we get started, I also wanted to say we got such an amazing response to our discussion of the Sunday blues, or the Sunday dreads, as Laura called them, um,
1: in episode 48. Yeah, we talked about how a lot of people just have that horrible feeling on Sundays, and um, a lot of people wrote in relating to that and with some great solutions. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was interesting that people had come up with so many ingenious approaches to battle the Sunday blues.
1: Yeah, some of the things we talked about were like Watching your favorite show on Sunday, uh, scheduling something to look forward to. Uh, A great idea that came out of our discussion was do something for someone else.
0: Yeah, that was Sarah's idea. Yeah.
1: I love that. Um, But Carla wrote in that what she does is she schedules a big, complex project for over the weekend. For instance, she refinished a set of cabinets.
0: Yeah, and she sent us some great photos of the cabinets, and I can see this because it's like you got something really huge done. You'd be, you'd feel like, oh wow, I really spent my time well. To be, that would help you battle the Sunday blues.
1: Yeah, it seems like something an upholder might do. Just to guess. I don't know what Carla is. I don't know her tendency. There's also Colette wrote in, and she said. My Sunday blues come not from dreading the week, but from beating myself up for not being more productive with my free time. I would spend Sunday afternoon just running down the list of chores or tasks I should have done. By the end of the day, I felt like a lazy loser. Now that I've banished the word should, I feel so much better and I actually get things on my, it would be nice if I did list done.
0: Oh, that's smart. That's they're sort of related because they're about like the productivity of the weekend and then Kirsten wrote in, and she had several uh, several good ideas that sort of picked up on on uh, other ideas. One was on Friday before she leaves work, she makes notes of what she needs to do for Monday morning and what she did in the week, and so that helps her start her Monday smoothly. And then it so it's less stressful to go mm-hmm. back on Monday, because and and then Sundays are less full of dread. She also tries to do laundry and other chores on Saturday, so Sunday can just be a fun day like her family goes out to brunch or they make a fun meal for dinner and so sunday is fun day she picks out her monday outfit and packs lunch and gets everything together before she goes to sleep so that it's because it's more fun to plan her outfit um when you know on sunday rather than half asleep monday morning and here's a really nice thing and it picks up the what sarah said about doing something nice for someone else she calls her grandmother every sunday afternoon Uh, Her grandmother's 85 and doesn't get that many calls and so really, really appreciates getting a phone call. She loves talking to her grandmother, and so it's like a nice thing to do for someone else, and, and that makes the day nicer for her and helps battle the Sunday blues. So this is a ton of great suggestions.
1: Yeah, it's great to get so many ideas. It's a problem we can all help each other with. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home tip is to disguise your faulty memory you know how to handle it if you can't remember something important about someone you must deal with this all the time i mean hollywood isn't it all about like who you know and who you have a relationship to and like who you can talk to at the party and all that i mean how do you you handle handle that
1: yeah. I mean, we are constantly meeting people. It's like part of our job is to just go out and have meetings uh, all the time. And yeah, remembering people's names is definitely sort of you know part of the job.
0: Okay, good. Well, um, I have some tips. I bet you've got some tips. So let's trade trade ideas here because I definitely need some more strategies to handle this because I do not have a great memory for names. And it's particularly bad if you know you should. There's a point at which it like you really should know someone's name and you don't know it. Um, so here's one thing that I found works really well, which I call my tip of the tongue dodge, which is, I will say to someone like, Oh my gosh, I keep wanting to call you Lisa. I know that is not right. And so it's like, it's sort of like, Mm. because you're almost there, you know, like you're being blocked and everybody I think has that feeling of like one fact blocks another fact, even though, you know, the fact is wrong. Um, and so I think it's, easier than just being like I'm sorry I don't remember your name
1: yeah that's good
0: so that's one of my dodges do you have any dodges
1: uh well what I do is if I'm with somebody else and we're like walking into a situation where I know I should know people's names but I might not I just I say to the person I'm with okay if I don't introduce you to someone that means I don't know their name so introduce yourself so they'll say their name that really does work like a charm but you have to have the confederate Um, yes, that's the problem. You need the wingman in that. Um, the other thing that I do, uh, which I think a lot of people do is I overintroduce myself. I might introduce myself to someone who I know really well, uh, even because it's like, I'll just assume, even if I know their name, I'll just assume they don't know my name. Yeah. And, um, that way I'm just kind of in that habit and it seems normal to me to do that.
0: Well, I think, that, A, that's polite because it helps other people if they can't remember your name. So it's nice. And I also think like if you say your name, the other person says their name, even if it's sort right. of like we should know each other's name. They can be like, of course. and I'm Gretchen
1: Rubin. Like, oh, we both know all this, you know. And <laughs> It's another. Um, yeah. Well, because so often it's about context. Yes. Like if you see someone... Um, at a meet I mean I've met had a meeting with someone an hour long meeting and then seen them that night out at a pizza place <laughs> and had no idea who they were because it's just a different context I'm not if someone's with their kid I don't think like oh she's the woman I met with you know at the studio today yeah can I tell you what they did at Jack's school which I thought was so great Ooh, what is um so for all the kindergarten parents they made placemats that have the parent's picture with their names on it, as well as the child's name. So you can constantly refer back to the placemat. And parents have told me that they took a picture of the placemat on their phone so that if they're at an event at school and they don't remember someone's name, they can just pop up the placemat and actually search it on the phone, you know, in the moment
0: that is brilliant um,
1: which is so smart yeah, yeah. because
0: once you remember you're like oh yeah of course um but i have uh, i have something that's as good as a placemat in my phone um which is that jamie my husband has this like crazy encyclopedic memory for everybody he has ever met. He will do things to me like, didn't you go to college with that guy? And I'm like, I've never seen that guy before in my life. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I did go to college with that guy. I don't remember. (laughs) Or he'll see somebody's picture in the newspaper and he will recognize them on the street. Like I could never do that. And it's funny because it turns out that like in ancient Rome, there was a kind of slave um, whose job it was to remember names and socially important information about people, like for the emperor or whatever, like there's somebody who would stand behind you and be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, Marcus Aurelius or whatever. That's called a, it was a nomenclator. Um, so Jamie's Ooh. like my own personal nomenclator, but as, as <laughs> but I, it's made me kind of lazy. And so now when I go to events without him, I'm like, dang I can't remember anybody's name
1: yeah I also think it helps if you get busted and you just don't remember <laughs> the name just just like say what I'm just I'm such an idiot I, I'm, yeah. I'm so embarrassed I didn't remember your name you know and the thing is we've all done it in you know as Jamie's phrase we've all done it This is something almost everybody deals with. So I think people are pretty forgiving about it. Yeah. Or they should
0: be because it really is a lot of times it's not because you're not important or or it's just because you're out of context or you remind them of somebody else in the past or whatever it is. We all have a lot of information.
1: I will say, though, if you do remember someone's name, it makes a huge impression. Yes. And I think it is you do score major points when you remember someone's name. No doubt
0: about it. It's a very nice thing to aim for. It is. It truly is. So listen, we've talked about how to handle when you don't know someone's name. But like, do you have any other good strategies for if like there's other information you can't, like you 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 just like can't remember something important about somebody that that you should know by now?
1: Yeah, well, there's something um, that comes up, too, about, like, if you don't remember exactly what someone does for a living or where they work, but you just can't quite remember, you just say, what are you working on these days? And that could just be sort of, you know, regarding any project they've got going on, not necessarily, you know, the name of the company.
0: Yeah, and Elizabeth, I have something that I use that's sort of a uh, kind of a version of that, which is when I can't remember if someone's working or not. Like, I don't want to say... What are you working on? Because I don't know what their job yes. situation is at all. You know, I say, so I make it even more op- open-ended. And so I say, what's keeping you busy these days? And so that way, wow. like a person can pick any aspect of their life. You know, it could be, oh, I've been doing a lot of, you know, hiking lately. Or, and, and, and it kind of lets them steer the conversation anywhere they want, um, which sometimes is nice because you don't want to feel pe- like people have to talk about one aspect of their life, which they may or may not feel like dwelling on at that time.
1: Yes, it could be a sensitive subject and you don't even realize it. That's a great idea. Right, right, right. You know, the other thing, Gretch, is if you get through a conversation and you haven't managed yet to figure (laughs) out who this person is and how you know them you can always ask for a card at the end of the conversation Uh and then at least you know after the fact and then hopefully it'll be imprinted for next time well and it's a
0: sign of respect because it's like oh i want your information i want your card but i wish like the placemat i wish that everybody's business card had their photo on it some do um, but I think I wish yeah. everybody did because that is so great. Um, and here's something that I do, um, and it doesn't work in every situation, but it, sometimes it works. And this is like, goes to the context thing you were talking about is if I say to somebody, remind me, how did we meet? Mm, sometimes that's yeah. high risk. Cause it's like we met because our kids, you know, it seems too obvious, but it's a way that if there's somebody who's sort of been in your life a long time and, and a lot of times people are like, Oh, remember we met at that dinner party or whatever. And then it all comes, you know, flooding back to me. And uh, if they remember, or if they say like, oh, I really don't remember, then you can just talk about that. It's just, it's, it's a helpful way to get out more information.
1: Yeah. One thing I do because usually once I've placed someone, then yeah, every detail about their life comes flooding back. Um, So if they go, oh, I'm, Joyce, you know, and you go, oh yeah. Then I then I'll sort of overcompensate or compensate by saying, oh, that's right. How was your trip to France? Oh right, ooh, show off. So that you show (laughs) that you remember them, and that sort of ameliorates the fact that you didn't remember their name automatically. Um,
0: So let us know if you have figured out any kind of
1: cool dodges
0: or strategies or tricks for disguising a faulty memory um, and, and how you've applied them, how it works for you. Because I think we, we could all use a little, like some, some pointers here. Um, let us know on Twitter, Facebook, uh, podcast at GretchenRubin.com is our email. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, which is happiercast.com slash 51. You can add your comments there.
1: Gret, you know I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com/happier. That's n-o-o-m.com/happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com/happier to start your trial today. So, Elizabeth, next up, it's our Better Than Before Habit Strategy, Um, and this week, it's the strategy of safeguards. Uh, In my book, Better Than Before, I talk about the 21 strategies uh, that we can use to make or break our habits. And one of the most important strategy is the strategy of safeguards, which is about safeguarding yourself against breaking a habit
1: okay that's interesting um i could have used this i guess when we were in san francisco and i broke my good eating habits
0: <laughs> yes um well this is about figuring out um how to stop yourself um, from getting into that situation um, and it really is about planning to fail and it and it can sound fatalistic and I think sometimes people don't want to think about safeguards because they want, they're want they full of enthusiasm and full of confidence. And they're like, I'm 100% committed to my new way of eating. Like, I don't even need to think about what's going to happen if I break my habit because I'm just not going to. But the fact is, um, although it can sound kind of fatalistic to think through all of the problems that might arise and how you might stumble, it's really important.
1: Yeah, That's something they do at Jenny Craig every week. They say, you know, what challenges might you be facing this week?
0: Well, and that's the, that is the key thing about the strategy of safeguards. What you want to do is you want to anticipate uh, temptation or, you know, anticipate roadblocks and so that you can minimize temptation both in your environment, you know, in your own, and in your own mind, which is things like you know, I'm at, when I'm at work, I'm not even going to walk into the writer's kitchen because there's so much there that's going to tempt me. I'm just like not even going to cross the threshold. So you're minimizing temptation. Um, and then you also have a plan in advance for something like, well, what's going to happen when I go on vacation? What's going to happen on my birthday? What's going to happen when I go to the holiday party? What's going to happen if I get sick? What's going to happen in any kind of situation that might arise where I can anticipate that I might feel a desire to break my gut habit?
1: So you put in these safeguards. That's like, um, like what would one be?
0: Well, what's good to do? You want to have this plan, um, as Dwight Eisenhower said, "Plans are worthless, but planning is everything." Huh. So you want to have um, what are called if-then plans. So. If I walk into the hotel room restaurant for breakfast and I can choose between a buffet or ordering off the menu, then I will order off the menu because then I know exactly what I'm going to get and exactly the portions that I'm going to get. Because I know if I go to the buffet, I end up taking everything and eating a lot because I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. You know, that's an
1: if-then plan. You know what? This just happened to me this week, Gretchen. Uh, we had a mom's night out uh, oh, fine. kindergarten. We went, we went to, um, a mo- a screening of a movie, uh, cause one of the moms, uh, was able to arrange that. <laughs> so LA, and, that I know, so right. LA, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we were all meeting an hour before for a drink and then it was the movie and I being on my diet, I said to myself, okay, if I go to this, I am not going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to have a diet Coke because I'm, you know, Watch, I'm doing Jenny Craig, and I'm watching the calories. And I went I went to the bar. I got my Diet Coke. Everybody else was having wine, but I was like, I'm having my Diet Coke. Uh, plan accomplished. What I yeah. didn't think about, though, was then after the movie, it was like, okay, let's go to this restaurant. And because I hadn't sort of steeled myself, I ended up ordering a glass of wine. There. Yeah, because it was like, oh, new situation. I wasn't ready for it, and I just sort of in a, had a moment of weakness.
0: Yeah, well, no, a friend of mine was saying how she had gone to a restaurant, and she was like, had everything like, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get this. And she goes, and then they brought out like, you know, and compliments of the chef. There is this uh, like, a, blah, blah. And she's like, well, I boosh, had no boosh. plan for that. Yeah, and so, um, yeah. But so an important thing to say, too, about safeguards is like, you don't want to beat yourself up. When, when you slip up because, you know, we've all done it. And what is fascinating, what the research shows is that sometimes people feel like if they're really, really hard on themselves, like, oh, if you were really kicking yourself and feeling really angry or guilty with yourself for the fact that you'd had that glass of wine, Sometimes people think that that is going to help them stick to their good habits going forward, like if they're really hard on themselves. But what it turns out is the case is that people who show compassion for themselves and cut themselves a little bit of slack tend to do a better job overall. They, they're the ones that tend to get back in the saddle more easily. If they say to themselves, like, well, we've all done it, or, well, I learned that lesson, you know, like, well, I figured out, you know, I got a plan for, you know, the after, you know, both stages of the mom's night out, um, or, you know, uh, I know how I can do it better next time um, people tend to then be able to get back into the habit of the good habit more easily and so um, you know obviously we want to do a good job but you know it's hard and there, and things come up so we want to be like not too hard on your, and it's weird with the safeguards because on the one hand you don't want to slip up at all because that's how you build a good habit is just you know sticking to it but on the other hand you don't want to be too hard on yourself when 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 you do have a stumble
1: I also think it's a matter of being honest with yourself because I think a lot of times, not you, but others of us don't. We want to break our good habits.
0: Well, that's the strategy of strategy of loophole spotting, which is coming up the next time I, I, that we're talking about a better than before habit strategy, which is how to avoid those loopholes, like you say, that we're like constantly looking for a way out, you know, a justification for a way out. Uh,
1: I know, and you you are the master of of, of not breaking your habits. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I still struggle. I think
0: I think that you think that I do a better job <laughs> than I do. Maybe because I talk about them all the time. But, no, I mean, I think it's hard for everyone. And I really do think that if-then planning helps because if you're like, you know, if I go on a trip, then these are the snacks that I'm going to eat. Or if I, you know, just whatever it is, you just plan ahead. Or if I go to
1: a business lunch, which is a big thing for me, like, I'm, it's great when I can just eat in my office and have Jenny Craig. But if I'm meeting someone for lunch you know, I I can't bring my, you know, frozen spaghetti and meatballs and ask the (laughs) restaurant to heat it up. So it's like knowing in advance, like looking at the menu in advance and saying, okay, this is what I'm ordering.
0: Yeah. Safeguards really do make a difference. Planning ahead really can help us stick to our good habits.
1: All right, Gretch, it's time uh, for our listener question. And remember, uh, one way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question at 774-277-9336. Or catchier seven seven happy three three six,
2: hi, this is Terry calling from Walnut Creek. I'm calling about phone calls, keeping up with relationships with, say, like my mom or my mother in law. I find that I have trouble answering their calls. I'm usually taking the kids somewhere. And I get overwhelmed, and I'm just wondering what's the best way to handle that, if I should just answer the call right away or try to call back when it's a little quieter and more convenient. I'm an obliger, and I usually have to concentrate and kind of think about what they're asking of me before I commit. So a lot of times I'll avoid the conversation to a time when I think I'll be able to handle it better, but then I generally don't get to responding. And then I have these voicemails that I have to keep up with. So anyway, I would love um, some advice. Thanks so much for your show. Bye-bye.
0: It's such an interesting question. I mean, I think we all know that feeling of like, I've got to listen to this message and, or I've got to take this call at a time when I feel like my attention is really being preoccupied somewhere else. And then like, I got to get back and it all mounts up and I sure have that feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, the my big advice for this is using texting and emailing to your advantage, because one thing you can do is just text someone. So if you've seen someone's left you a voicemail, even if you can't face listening to it, which for some reason, as you just said, a lot of us do not want to listen to voicemails. We've discussed that. Um, you can text or email and say, "Hey, I saw you called." Uh, you know, I was dropping the kids off. Let me try you tonight, or, or if you don't even want the responsibility of calling, say, call. Uh, you know, give me a try tomorrow,
0: or you could even. I mean, like I much prefer to have to do anything transactional in writing and so if it's because she's it sounds like from what terry's saying these aren't just like sort of general catch-ups like when i call mom and dad and then we're just sort of like kind of catching up it sounds like these are about something that needs to get done for me i so maybe what i would say say something like oh i'm sorry Mr. missed your call i was dropping the kids off um what's up you know mm, uh, yeah. what do you need and then ha- move it to email and one thing i've noticed um is that, and, and again, this is be the kind of thing that would be a little bit harder for an obliger, is as an obliger, you feel like, okay, they want to talk on the phone, I need to call them back. But maybe you need to train them. Yeah, it's not so easy to reach me on the phone. You're going to have a much better response if you, if you connect with me by email. Or you can call me if you don't want to email me, but I'm going to email you back. Because a lot of times, once you get in the practice of something, people get it. Like, me, like I have people that I know will only answer. My, my roommate from college only communicates by text. If mm. I send her an email, she does not respond. A text, she answers right away. This drives me crazy because I like to use all my fingers when I type. I don't like to type with my thumbs. But it's like if I email her, she will not answer me. She's trained me. If you want to reach me, text me. And then there are other people who never text, you know, like they don't even get text, you know. and so Right, like I, mom and dad. Well, they sort of do now, but like they would much prefer. And you're going to reach them much more quickly if you use email. And so I think we're all sort of attuned to each other. And, um, and I think, you know, maybe some people who are really used to using the phone, their, their impulse is to pick up the phone and call you whenever the impulse strikes them. Um, And so maybe you need to, and and because the nice thing about email and stuff is it's on your terms, like you send it when it's on your terms. And then if they respond to you, then you respond on your terms. And again, she's sort of saying, saying like, maybe sometimes, she wants to think about how she wants to respond, whether right. she's going to meet whatever is expected of her. And so that's good to have that time delay. Or maybe she even wants to talk to somebody else like, ooh, I, I, someone suggesting that we do this. What do you think? Do I have to say yet? Because sometimes an obliger needs somebody to give them a little like, hey, you don't have to do that. Or that sounds like a big thing for me. Or, uh, you yeah, know, maybe that can wait
1: or whatever that might be. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that you do want to make sure you don't get in the habit of never talking to loved ones because that can happen. And, um, you want to make sure you get, you, you do maintain the actual voice to voice communication. It's just, but if it's just about housekeeping matters, it's, it's not
0: so important. Or logistical things. And I think also you don't want to get into the habit of like, every time you talk to somebody, it's about something unpleasant you right. know, um, or, yeah. you know, it's some, it's some care or some duty. And one thing I do is I send photos all the time. Cause I feel like that's a little yes, snapshot of, uh, of like what's going on. And then people, it sort of keeps people up to date on what's going on in our lives, but it doesn't call for response. Cause it's just like a picture of like Barnaby in the snow or whatever. And it's just like, here it is, you know, for what it's worth. And, and so then it's a little pleasant, connection
1: and people love getting pictures I love it when I see I have a picture to look at it's just it's just something about seeing a picture is very satisfying
0: I know I wish you would send more pictures I love it when you send pictures okay I'll send more pictures. send more pictures I love your pictures um well anyway this is, but I think Terry is raising a question that is, is an issue for a lot of people which is you know how do we keep up with responding to people who are important with us without letting it become overwhelming and a big
1: drag yes
0: all right, now it's time for demerit and gold stars. And Elizabeth,
1: you are the demerit this week. All right, Gretch, you're going to um, probably laugh at this. Um, uh, so you remember many episodes ago, we went through the whole saga of my phone dying and I lost all my pictures. And oh, you were going to take it to that 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 place where they
0: could do like extreme emergency surgery. Did it? Did, yes. Did they which, resurrect it?
1: Yes. No, I haven't gone there. So that's one. I still have the phone just on the counter (laughs) waiting to go to the emergency place. (laughs) Uh, but worse than that is I, so I have my new phone with all my new pictures and I have not backed them up. Um, and I got, you get a certain amount free of the iCloud when you get a phone that sort of automatically happens, but if you don't then sign up, it all goes away and the backup is gone and that's where i am so i am currently once again without any backup just hoping that nothing happens to my phone
0: now i have to confess i i don't my phone is not backed up we've got to deal oh, with this not. we've got to back this up unless unless magically it's been set up to backup see cuz i have an it guy who helps me with my files and he said that i have an elaborate backup program for my files and then also Like when I work on my laptop, it has to sync up with my desktop so that whatever version I'm working on is most up to date and that backs up. And I I might have asked him to somehow back up my phone, but I don't know for sure. Okay, so we're both terrified. We're both living on the edge. Yes. Um, Do you know how to back up your phone?
1: no i mean i'm sure if i thought about it i would i think it involves like plugging it into the computer and that's probably like almost all you have to do but though doesn't adam adam knows how to do this doesn't he He's oh yeah super and he techie. backs his stuff up constantly um and i could probably just turn my head and go hey will you back up my <laughs> phone and he would do it yeah um that's perhaps something I should try this evening. See, because
0: I'm not an Apple. I don't have an Apple computer. I think if you have an Apple laptop or computer, it's much easier. See, this is like Mm. the two of us talking we know nothing, so please help us out, listeners, because clearly, like, many people will be, like, laughing hysterically that we are puzzled, but I don't have an Apple, and so, and I'm afraid if I, like, back it up on, like, Eliza's computer that I will somehow wipe out her backup, because she's backing Uh. up, I'm sure, with my backup, I don't know. So. It's I all think mysterious. it's all very mysterious, but I think you have, I think you're actually in a better position than I am because you could just make Adam do it. Jamie yeah. doesn't, won't know how to do it either. So, okay. All this right, is, so a di- I'm
1: going to do that <laughs> and I'll update you when I've done that.
0: Okay. Well, and I'm going to hold you accountable. So like next update coming up, it's like, what's up with your phone? Um, okay.
1: I will all do something now. Okay. And I will that. too, right? Yeah. And you too. Cause you I'm too. scared. Okay um what grudge is your gold star this week
0: so this is a gold star for this thing that i've been hearing about and i'm so intrigued by and i'm definitely going to do it myself which is the the craze of adult coloring books and this is i i became aware of this first of all when i would walk into bookstores i would see all these adult coloring books all all over the place and then also i have to confess that more than the average person i um obsessively look at bestseller lists of Mm. books to see what books are on the bestseller list and if you look on those lists, they're dominated by adult coloring books, and I just think this is brilliant for a couple of reasons. One is, if you're an adult and you don't know what to do for pleasure, a great thing to ask yourself is, what do you do, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because that's probably something that you would enjoy mm-hmm. now. And I loved coloring. I had very elaborate coloring books, and I used them like well into my teens. And so I'm very excited to get my first coloring book and start coloring. Also, I am a crazy fan of all office supplies, and I am super excited that if I (laughs) like doing this, it's a great excuse to go out and buy myself a super fancy set of markers, which I'm always looking for an excuse to buy markers. So I will get to do that and use them, um, because I don't want to just buy them and not use them. That's depressing. And also, you know, there's something very soothing about, like, this is the kind of thing where if you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious... Doing something like coloring, it's like, it takes a little bit of brain and, but not that much. And it's repetitive and it's soothing and it's doing something with your hands. I think there's really something special about doing something with your hands. Um, it's not hard. Like I can't needlepoint. It was like too hard for me, but I love the idea of doing something. It keeps your hands busy. Like if you're a person um, who tends to like snack while you watch TV or something, this is mm. a great thing to do because if you're working on your beautiful face picture. You don't want to be sticking your hand into a bag of uh, chips or something because it's going to get, it's just messy.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, they're huge in LA. Uh, Sarah's all over the adult coloring She books. is a lot. Yes, absolutely. And people even do them in the writer's room because it's the kind of thing that, you know, you, again, you can still focus on the conversation, but it, but it's something you can do, um, you know, just sort of throughout the day. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because I'm a big hair twister.
0: And, um, one of the things they say about twisting your hair is that that kind of movement actually helps you concentrate because it's like your body is focused Mm -hmm. on one, one movement. So then your brain can kind of, it kind of quiets everything down so your brain can pay attention. And I think coloring would be very much the same way where it's like it's like doodling or something where you're doing something yeah. kind of at a very very low level, and yet it's satisfying because it's it's satisfying to be like, oh look, I colored in, I finished my picture or something. So, so oh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna email Sarah and ask her like, what's the best adult coloring book that I should try and get her recommendation, mm-hmm. or and, and, and anybody else who's got a great recommendation of some great um, adult coloring book, um, or a kids coloring book. I mean, I'll I'll you know I'll color any coloring book. Um, because I want to give it a well, shot. I've Got
1: a lot of them at home.
0: <laughs> it, like a lot like of the kids it, Star Wars dominated coloring books. I mean, yes, yeah, okay. Actually, uh, Jack and I can uh, can swap. Um, so that's yeah. that's my that's my gold star for the week. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Disguise your faulty memory. Let us know if you tried some of our tips and strategies, and please let us know what tips and strategies work for you, because we definitely need more.
1: Oh, and Gretchen, we want to give a shout out to Susan Kane, friend of yours, and I'm a fan of hers who just has a new podcast that started last week on the Panoply Network called Quiet. Yeah, Susan is somebody I've known for a long time. And of course,
0: she's incredibly well known for her book called Quiet, which is all about the power of introverts. And for so many people, and I've talked to many people like this, it was just a revelation um, to understand themselves better, to understand other people better, understanding how introverts and extroverts might see the world Differently,
1: Yeah. And the podcast is really interesting because it focuses on um, people who are parents of introverted children. It's like how to parent an introverted child to, you know, reach their, their best and live their best life. Um, and so it's, it's really a great tool and it's just interesting in terms of human nature for adults as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. It's called quiet and you can find it at
1: iTunes.com slash quiet. Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
0: Now, in, uh, when Terry called in, you might have heard her mention that she's an obliger. And here on the podcast, we talk a lot about the four tendencies. If you want to learn more about that personality framework and figure out your own tendency, you can take the online quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz.
1: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth
0: Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.